are listening to The Addiction Files, where we discuss evidence-based treatment, clinical pearls and resources, while striving to destigmatize the treatment of addiction in our medical culture and save lives. We are The Addiction Doctors, Dr. Darlene Peterson and Paula Cook. Welcome to this episode of The Addiction Files. We are so excited today. We have Dr. Kyle Moore joining us, and today it's all about vaping, and this is going to be a fantastic episode. We're going to talk about the history of vaping, some of the trends, what is vaping, why you need to know about this, and how do you quit. Paula is going to introduce Dr. Moore to us, and we'll go from there. Paula. All right. Okay. Well, it is my pleasure and honor to introduce Kyle, and I'm so grateful that he's willing to join us. Dr. Kyle Moore is from originally from Idaho. He received his medical degree from Pacific Northwest University. He then completed a family medicine residency at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. And is that right, Minnesota? Is that yes. where <laughs> you could tell I'm not from this country? I still claim uh, cultural ignorance with some of the states. Okay, following residency, he completed a fellowship in addiction medicine at the University of Utah, and currently he lives in Helena, Montana, with his wife and three kids, where he works as the director of addiction medicine and as a family physician for St. Peter's Health. He enjoys spending time, spending his spare time with family at church and trail running. I met Kyle when he was a fellow at the addiction medicine program at the University of Utah. And I'm not supposed to say that you have favorite fellows, but I just really, really loved working with Kyle. He came with such a dynamic energy to the program and I just loved working with him. It was just an amazing year, an opportunity, and it was over in a flash and then he was gone. And what's great about working with fellows is then they become your colleagues. And I'm so grateful that he was willing to join us from Montana to spread the word about this topic, which I know he's really passionate about. We'll move on and get get on with it. So Kyle, tell us about vaping and why you're interested in it and tell us, give us all the knowledge so that this vague and interesting world can be more unveiled. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Vaping is a a new subject for so many of us that it's always hard to proclaim any kind of expertise in it because one day, if you feel like an expert, you're going to be outdated the next day. But I guess we could, could start by saying, you know, what is vaping? And, you know, what do we mean by that general term? What is typically implied by vaping is when you have a a delivery system of a drug, in this case, we're talking about nicotine and later we'll talk a little bit about cannabis and how it enters the body. So you start with a e-liquid or a liquid solution and then it's aerosolized and then inhaled and through the pulmonary system, it gets into the central nervous system and then causes its intended effect. It's relatively new as far as when it started and how it's developed and and evolved over time. But some of the main components and and keys of it have remained pretty steady. So when people talk about vaping, one thing that's important is the terminology is a little bit interchangeable. So you'll hear people talk about e-cigarettes or electronic cigarettes. And people may even use the word jeweling because that was one of the companies that made it popular. So they'll use that as a verb as though we would say, oh, you know, I'm going to Xerox something. But the more formal definition in the medical literature is they're called electronic nicotine delivery systems or ENDS. And so those, all those different terms can be used a little bit interchangeably, but the electronic nicotine delivery system tends to encompass all of them, whether it's an electronic cigarette that looks more like the flash drives that we're probably more familiar with or the, the ones that 
that you see that are a little bit larger that look like Game Boys or little cell phones, but it can be things like electronic pipes or e-hookahs. All of these devices have a similar structure in how they cause the aerosolation that you can then inhale. There's a metal coil and it heats the liquid and then it's inhaled through some type of um, closed system to get into the lungs. The juice itself is pretty homogenous from some basic components of it. There's some nicotine in it, and the other components tend to be glycerin, propylene glycol, and some flavoring, and there may or may not be other components involved in it, but it's those are the four main main ingredients of an e-juice. And, and almost all users of these electronic cigarettes or vaping have some degree of nicotine within that e-juice. That's really interesting. I mean, the way that you were describing juuling has now become just a household word. It's so true. Do we know much about the epidemiology of vaping? Oh, something that has caught a lot of attention. And those numbers are, are striking for anyone who has seen them. It was deemed a, you know, an epidemic a couple of years ago because we were seeing trends double and triple even for high school age students. The most recent numbers, fortunately, the good news, I guess we'll start out with some optimism here in, in today's podcast, is that for the first time in a number of years, they're finally starting to level a little bit. So there's a few different ways to monitor this. The monitoring the future is a great way to kind of look at substance use rates among young adults and adolescents. Uh, the New England Journal has had some interesting articles on vaping use, but probably the one that struck me the most was that in 2019, 25% of 12th graders, so seniors in high school, were vaping at least monthly. Wow, that's crazy. That's a lot. 25% were vaping at least monthly high school. Uh, that's about right because I have a kiddo who just started college. So last year he was a senior and he was just like, it's, you walk into, well, obviously last year COVID, but he said that when school was in session, he would walk into the bathroom and it would just be a cloud of vape smoke basically every every bathroom at a school. so it sounds about right yeah definitely and and when I talk to my you know teenage and, and young adult patients they they share similar stories and it's yeah you can see it everywhere if you go out and, and you'll you'll see people vaping. It's it's not a secret anymore like it was a few years ago. And I think so the, this brings up an interesting kind of a dilemma. And that is 25, if 25% of high school students or seniors are vaping at least monthly, where does that bring us or what does that show us about nicotine use relative to cigarette use? Because we were seeing a trend downward in, with cigarette use, right? Over the past, I don't know, what has it been, 10, 20 years? Yeah, and I now, think even a little longer. Long, yeah, so we were making a good headway with kind of national, with public health measures, actually not only nationally, but around the world, in a lot of developed countries especially. And now with this kind of the emergence of these devices, uh, we're now seeing an uptick with, of nicotine use. Is that right? Would you say that's true? It is. And that's kind of the conundrum and the interesting part of, of the vaping phenomenon as well. And for context and history, something that, that can help us understand that a little bit is, is how these products came about, yeah, at least the, the most popular ones. And I guess I'll use Juul as the prime example. So the, the founders of Juul's, of Juul Laboratories, the, the two individuals were, were smokers, and they were looking for a way to stop smoking. And so they they had this great idea that they were going to create this delivery system that decreased the carcinogens and the tar and everything like that. And so they developed the e-cigarette and uh, everything seemed to be going well. But 
problem and some of the accusations that they've had have been how they went about that. So they they kind of made these proclamations of this being a substitution for smoking traditional cigarettes, which we're you know trying to get away from. But unfortunately, in the marketing and advertising, it was very clear that this was not being marketed that way. It was being marketed directly to young people in the same way that traditional cigarettes were many years ago, making it look young and fun and funny and sexy. And this is this is the bee's knees. This is how the cool kids do it. And so that's when Juul started to come under the microscope because it turned into this multi-billion dollar empire of advertising this new nicotine delivery system, primarily to adolescents and young people. And unfortunately, the intended effect of getting people off of cigarettes was happening to a small degree. But unfortunately, we were there having people who may have never smoked who are now vaping and addicted to nicotine. I think this was New England Journal of Medicine. Oh my gosh, I think it was September 2016. And there's been studies since then that showed if you have particularly youth who have just nicotine on the brain. So if they experiment or try cocaine, it was like almost two to three times more likely to become daily users if there's already the presence of nicotine. So that's where that kind of gateway theory comes in. And so that would be the same whether they're vaping or they're smoking. You've got that same. It's just having that nicotine. And that's been replicated since. So I know there's probably an updated study. That was really interesting. Yeah. Vaporized nicotine is a little bit different, but it's like a nicotine benzoate. So it has like a higher, essentially, constant, not concentration. It has a uh, greater affinity for the nicotine receptor. And you can get higher, yeah, you can get higher concentrations of nicotine in the blood system without getting the nauseating effects that you would get with nicotine. Because like if you smoke three packs of cigarettes, like, and you get that much nicotine really quick, like your body is going to react adversely if you're not used to that and you're going to get kind of nauseated. But the nicotine delivery with the vaping is such that your body can overcome that a little bit so you can get higher amounts of nicotine. Yeah, that's so true. And I remember the legislative kind of movement where some of these companies were banned from using certain uh, flavorings because they were definitely considered targeted to younger population. Like was it, and you're definitely, you'd probably know more about this than I would, but I think cotton candy, things like that were, they were banned because they were deemed as targeting this younger population. And it was kind of considered unethical. Can you really imagine a 60 year old man smoking, you know, a pack <laughs> or two packs a day, picking up snickerdoodle flavor and cotton candy. And and this is the kind of the arguments we were having with some of the legislators, like this is directly being advertised to kids. Like, Come on. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there are literally thousands of flavors on the market. And and we'll talk a little bit later about some of the regulation of it. But it's it's been such a challenge. And yeah, kids, exactly. They're not going to be they're not trying to get tobacco taste in their mouth. That's not what's appealing. It's it's fun. It's exciting to have cotton candy and sour patch kids and get these colorful and you you know you trade it becomes a little bit of a game and Dr. John Ebert at Mayo Clinic he he brings up a good point and and one of the things that make vaping so appealing to young people in particular is that it really is a a perfect combination of some of the things that are most addicting in our society and that's nicotine and technology because these vaping devices 
they're not like a cigarette that you light and you watch a burn. It's different. I mean, I, I gave a cursory explanation of the devices, but they're actually quite complex. And there's so many different devices that are available. But you can increase the wattage and how hot oil is and the vaping speed and the aerosolization so you can get more puffs and smoke clouds and all sorts of things. And so it's really fun for a young kid who who is used to having a phone out all the time. And so you combine that nicking with a device like a, you know, a vaping system, an e-cigarette that is technologically advanced like that. And it's kind of a recipe for disaster. That's amazing. And you know, what's so interesting too, to me, and you can talk more about this is how much the question of how much nicotine is actually delivered, because, you know, you sometimes hear the argument, well, I'm using nicotine free vape liquid. But I think there was a study actually out of BYU that analyzed the liquids that were in several of these devices, either advertised as zero nicotine up to whatever percentage. And there was a vast discrepancy in what was advertised and what was actually present. And several of the zero nicotine liquids actually had nicotine in them, which is terrible because this is how how kids get, or not only children and teenagers, but how people get hooked because nicotine is so addictive. But uh, do you want to talk about that a little bit? How, How much nicotine is actually in them? I'm not very good at remembering numbers and statistics, but it's one of my favorite ones to quote to patients is because study I, I think that you may be referencing is that, yeah, in, in, at least the one that I've seen is in sample size, nicotine-free. If you actually take it to a lab and test the nicotine content, 93% of the tested samples, and there were like 46 or 49, had nicotine in them. And so it's just false. It's just false, like so many things. And And when you're not regulated and when you're kind of in a shady, deceptive business, like, oh, just imagine, would the tobacco companies ever lie? Yeah, you know, it's, it's their business to get people hooked. Yeah, wow. That's kind of scary. Well, and the other scary part about that is, so now there has been some attention on vape, and there are starting to make some strides towards curbing this problem. But in the meantime, going back to Juul Labs, what happened with them? Well, in 2018, they were bought up by a company called Altria, which is formerly Philips Morris, the tobacco maker. So now if you're Altria, you buy this company for $13 billion and you have a new generation that's hooked on nicotine. So if the government cracks down on vaping and well, they're hooked on nicotine and so they'll buy your cigarettes. But if you can sell the e-cigarettes and they're hooked on those, so it's a win-win for them. At least for now, hopefully we're changing that. And by awareness like this, people will realize that there's a really dangerous thing for, for all of us as society members. But I think that's really an important thing when you're having those conversations with your patients, especially when they're kind of in that pre-contemplative, contemplative stage. And they tell me, because we see so many co-using, right? They're either using like e-cigarette and they're still smoking at the same time, or they think they're going to quit with their e-cigarette. And telling them, giving them that information, just telling them that the tobacco company owns their e-cigarette. And it's like, they've got you one way or the other. And it's like, you should be angry. This makes me angry. You should be angry too, that they have hooked you and they're just taking your money and they're making you sick. And just giving them that message, that helps motivate them. Like we need to spread that message. I think that's such an important point, Kyle. Yeah. And one thing that I found that's really important when you talk to individuals about vaping, particularly adolescents and, and young adults, is 
to identify it as vape. Because if you're in an appointment and you have been practicing medicine for a number of years and you, because we all do this, we have ways in which we ask questions, even like the tone that we ask the questions and at least I do. And sometimes we might say, do you, do you use any tobacco products or do you drink? And then we move on to the next question. Well, if you ask 17 year old that's vaping, if they use any tobacco questions, they're going to be, or any tobacco products, they're going to say, of course not. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. So it's very important that you specify, not only are you using any tobacco products, but are you using nicotine product? Are you vaping? Maybe even ask if you have a suspicion or if you, if it's like a well child encounter, I even go through, I make very clear that they understand. I'm trying to understand if they use any nicotine products. Yeah, that's so true. I've had, to, I've found that that's a difficult change though, like in history taking, because I'm so used to asking, do you smoke? Do you have a history of smoking or do you use tobacco? Now you have to completely change your language and say, do you use nicotine or not even do you use nicotine? Do you vape anything? And I, it's amazing how many patients, if you say, do you smoke? They'll say, oh no, never. Oh no, I'll never do that. I'll never smoke. Then say, well, do you use anything vape? Oh yeah, well, well, I vape. I vape nicotine. Yeah. But they were absolutely adamant and proud and, you know, good for them that they never use cigarettes because that is a win. But like, oh, well, it's just so normal. Like, of course I vape. It's just like drinking coffee. Of course. It's just, especially with our population, it's very, very common to use nicotine products because they're so addictive and very reinforcing. Yeah. And another trick that I learned from you actually, Paula, is it's really helpful to kind of normalize it as well. So if you're struggling, instead of asking, do you vape? Maybe say, what are you vaping? And then if they're like, I don't vape, then then you kind of know. But if you kind of go into the assumption, because statistically speaking, there's a fair chance that your patient is vaping. I mean, it's not crazy to just phrase it that way. And so just say, hey, how often are you vaping? Or when was the last time you vaped? Instead of just asking, do you have, do you vape? Because that also can set it up where they might be embarrassed because it's like, well, yeah, parties, sometimes I have some some hits of my friend's jewel, but I'm not doing it every day. So it it gets kind of tricky to figure out what people are using and how they're using it. Yeah, that's a good point. And I don't know, this might be out of turn, but I'm really, I have to say as a provider in the medical information market, if you want to say it that way, I feel a bit confused about vaping in a lot of ways. You know, you hear, oh, okay, there's mixed data. People are addicted to nicotine. There's uncertain amounts of nicotine delivered in vape devices. They may not always be safe. But you also hear some reports about people successfully quitting cigarettes using vape devices and that some countries actually endorse the use. Like I think the UK is endorsing the use of, of ENDS and there may be some studies here published in the US that they actually are effective. And uh, maybe as physicians and providers, you know, do we need to stop and look at the data and make help our patients make informed decisions? So I don't know. I, I feel like there's some confusing information out there about, about whether or not they are actually helpful quit devices. Well, that's well stated. And it's, it's a question that is under intense scrutiny right now. And I've honestly changed my tone on it quite a bit just in the last year, because initially I was saying, no, this, this is all bad. And I've, I've had to do an about face, not only because of the data, but because of interactions I've had with patients, family members, friends who have made a transition from traditional cigarettes to electronic cigarettes. What we know right now is that if someone is using traditional cigarettes and they switch completely to electronic cigarettes, the vast majority of studies and individuals and professionals and experts would say that that is a positive change and you have significantly reduced your risk of all-cause mortality and multiple problems. 
simply stated. So that's amazing. So it's kind of like a harm reduction approach. Exactly. So cigarettes are like, we know they're going to kill you. They're going to kill you in multiple mechanisms, early and ugly. Yeah. And vaped nicotine is still not safe, but we know it's safer than cigarettes. Yeah. Well, and like Darlene said, the challenge lies with that complete switch. What happens is there are many, many individuals who have the intention of switching to electronic cigarettes, and then they're using both. And that obviously isn't ideal either. There is also something that we think about a little bit called the precautionary principle, meaning this is what the data that we have right now and what we think is true based upon the short decade of research that we have into this. Now, 40 years from now, if we find that the nickel in the uh, in the metal coil that was being used in the ENDS device is carcinogenic when it's heated and it causes some type of lung cancer years down the road, then maybe we'll look back on this and we'll go to this podcast episode and be like, whoa, we had no idea what we were talking about. So I say that with a little bit of hesitancy and a little bit of waffling, but overall right now, I'm comfortable saying that there is a harm reduction with e-cigarettes, but I'm very careful not to endorse them as a the, the perfect tool for nicotine cessation. I think that's smart, especially when we have FDA approved nicotine replacement therapies uh, that are, you know, we know that they're not contaminated. We know that they don't have any environmental risk and we know that they don't, hopefully, well, we hope they don't have any carcinogenic risk down the road, like you said. I just was in an in integrative medicine lecture today on environmental medicine talking about um, the danger of vehicles that we just don't understand what their risk is. And I was wondering about these kinds of volatile liquids and the containers that they come in and heating them up, just exactly what you're saying. We just don't know the risk. That is something to consider. And also the danger of people who are using these initially who never smoked a cigarette and then who smoke cigarettes because they can no longer access this mm -hmm. particular device. Right. So both can be true. And, and that's what is a little bit challenging in this topic is that it's possible that it can be a, a good thing and a bad thing at the same time. It could be a good thing in that, hey, you know, I have family members who were smoking cigarettes and they've transitioned to electronic cigarettes and they say, I feel better. I have more energy. My breathing's better. And I'm on my way to not using any nicotine products. And there's also, you know, the adolescent population in particular who maybe they would have never touched a cigarette and now they're addicted to nicotine through electronic cigarettes or maybe they progressed to traditional cigarettes or, or other substances. And it's, you know, in medicine, we can't really do those type of studies and, and going back in time and doing two alternate universes of what would have happened. So one really like concerning what Paula kind of touched on is you have about, and this is from NIDA, about 30% of vape users will switch to being cigarette users even within six months. So that's what's the most concerning thing about teens. And then there was this trend for a while, and I have heard this multiple times, that you get a lot of this like high school kids will go, well, you know, vaping, that was just so junior high. So I'm older now. And so that's when they'll start making that switch. I don't know, Kyle, how often do you see that? Does the data support that? Yeah, those are the same numbers that I've seen is that it's, it's not an insignificant number of people who transition to cigarettes. And the other component of that is there actually have been some studies that have linked e-cigarette use and subsequent marijuana use in teenagers. And that leads into a whole nother conversation of what are people vaping? You know, a few years ago when we talked about vaping, it was presumed to be nicotine. But today we have to wonder, well, is something else 
else being vaped as well. The most common form of other substances is THC or uh, you know marijuana products, and that's colloquially known as dabbing, and that's increasing in popularity significantly as well. So that's you know another question that I ask young people is not only are you vaping or what are you vaping or you know or how how often are you vaping, but what are you vaping? Vaping marijuana is very different than smoking marijuana or eating marijuana. So these dab concentrate can be very dangerous because the concentration of delta 9 tetrahydrocannabidiol or the THC, the psychoactive component, is extremely high. In the marijuana of years past, the THC concentration may have been 10%. And some of these dabbing solutions or waxes, it can be as high as 90%. And I've been, there have been case reports and I have personally had multiple patients who have had frank psychosis from ingesting these products. I've seen this. I've seen a patient who's never had like any kind of psychosis or any kind of diagnosis who is exposed to dab. And it was really interesting, had three ER visits and then presented in my office. We went through his whole history and his only exposure was dab. It was really quite a prolonged and very interesting kind of psychotic episode. Yeah, this patient who was cash pay, what it cost the healthcare system The FDA put out an alert, I think this was October of 2019, about THC and vaping. And that's when I think really Evoli really came out as a concern with vaping. And it was it was about at least 40% of those cases linked to particularly THC. Yeah, I haven't kept up as much on all the specifics of it. But the you know, the bronchiolitis obliterans or the popcorn lung that that was made national news a little while ago. Yeah, most of those cases were found to be linked to not nicotine as much as THC other contaminants within the e juice. And yeah, it can cause some irreversible lung damage. You know, for otherwise healthy people, what we usually think of of lung damage is, you know, the the 72-year-old Montana rancher up here who uh, has a 40-pack history or 50-pack history. And yeah, they're going to have some damage to alveoli from from COPD. But this is a different mechanism. That's interesting. And I was just wondering about co-occurrence of vaping with development or contraction of COVID related illness. And so just looking on Hopkins website, it shows that if with people, young people who vape, they looked at uh, 4,300 young people who had coronavirus and found that those who vaped regularly were five to seven times more likely to test positive for COVID. So there you go. I mean, that's not too surprising really, but you sometimes wonder, I think there's this perception with vapors that it's not as damaging to their lungs and they don't, they're not accruing the same kind of pulmonary risks that you do with cigarette smoke, but it looks like at least for COVID contraction, that's definitely not true. Yeah. Well, some of the other known harms that we know about vaping, and a lot of them are starting to evolve and have really been pushed forward by some advertising campaigns that I really appreciate that have been anti-vaping campaigns are showing some of the effects on mental health. And I like to bring this one up because so many individuals that I meet, especially within addiction treatment, it's their one thing that they're not ready to get rid of. It's like, hey, dude, you asked me to quit drinking. I gave up heroin. Like, I'm I'm not even smoking cigarettes anymore. Why are you even worried about me vaping? And it's like, well, here's the reason I'm worried about vaping. Because 90% of people who quit vaping felt less 
less stressed, less anxious, and less depressed in follow-up studies. And people always say, oh, you know, it's what I use when I get stressed out. And to understand that a little bit, I think it's important to remember how nicotine acts within the body and what nicotine withdrawal is. So nicotine is rapidly absorbed into the central nervous system and does act as an anxiolytic. It decreases anxiety levels. But the problem is that's very short-lived and then you have a rebound hyper-anxious state. And so individuals who are hitting multiple, whether it's dabs or nicotine hits, they're going through this cycling of anxiety withdrawal, anxiety withdrawal over and over and over that seems to make it a lot worse. And I had one person not too long ago who was vaping uh, both nicotine and marijuana. And when I walked into the room, he was sweaty, pacing. And his first words to me is, I'm so anxious. And we started talking and I got the history about all of his vaping, both nicotine and marijuana. And I suggested the possibility that he might be better without it. And his response was, well, no, this is what it's the only thing that works for my anxiety. And the follow-up is, how long does this last for? I said, well, about two hours. And so naturally, well, so is your solution then to vape something into your lungs every two hours throughout the rest of your life in order to feel normal? Yeah, this is where addiction makes no sense. Where the receptors, uh, where the the midbrain hijacks the frontal cortex. In those situations, that happens within addiction medicine. And and again, you know, I've learned over time is that one of our jobs as medical providers is not to tell people what to do. It's to make information available, to make recommendations, and to show how much we care about them and how much we're concerned. And my hope is that with time, he'll come back and he'll say, you know what, I've been thinking about that, or hey, things aren't any better. Let's try something different, and then we can. But for that particular day, he wasn't quite ready. All about that change talk, right? Mm -hmm. Riding the bus with them, getting on the bus. Oh man, that sucks. Feeling that anxious, having to rely on that. Sounds like you want to feel differently. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, so there's the depression, the anxiety, some of the potential lung damage that we've talked about. Other things, nicotine itself, although it's much less harmful than the other components of a traditional cigarette, there are some damaging effects of nicotine. It, It is a teratogen. So that can be something to bring up, particularly in young female patients who may be seeking pregnancy or in childbearing age. It's a vasoconstrictor and we may find out more information. Again, it took us a number of years before we knew how harmful cigarettes were. And it wasn't until the late 50s, early 60s when we were like, holy smokes, this is this is a little bit worse than we thought. And and then attitudes and, and public policy and patient action started to change. Good point. Good to be aware of the actual risks too, right? Because it seems so innocuous, like we were saying. Well, and I think it's really important to discuss those risks with your patients. And so if you have someone who is motivated either to quit tobacco products or nicotine in general to get off their vape device uh, how what do you do for them Kyle like how do you guide them through that and what kind of st- and techniques do you have to help them um, get off well anytime someone expresses any degree of interest one of the most important things that I think we can do is show genuine excitement because we talk about this we spend so much time about this and we know that tobacco related illness kills so many people it's you know nearly a half a million people per year and so if someone is interested in quitting tobacco nicotine vaping whatever it may be show sincere excitement We get busy, we get in the middle of our days, and sometimes we're like, oh yeah, that's good, and we just move on. But I try to make an intentional effort, not to be fake or phony, but to show them, hey, this is awesome. This is amazing. So I think that can be the first step for a lot of us is to really support them in their decision and tell them that. Say, you're making a good decision. And then from there, it it depends a little bit on what they're using. For vaping in particular, we don't have as much information as we do for traditional cigarettes. The model has been to kind of follow what we've done for traditional cigarettes. So you guys had a great podcast 
podcast about smoking. I can't remember which podcast episode that was, but I'd you know, refer listeners to that where you cover the pharmacotherapy in detail. But there's you know two oral medications, bupropione and varenicline, along with the nicotine replacements such as patches, gum, lozenges, the inhaler and nasal spray that are all FDA approved. And so I encourage people who are vaping to utilize the same mechanisms as, as I would for a traditional cigarette. The other things that I do that are a little bit unique to vaping is something that combines what we talked about earlier, some of the technology component. So Truth Initiative, which is a government-sponsored website, uh, has a text line that's Quit Jewel. And so if you text Quit Jewel in all caps, so that's Q-U-I-T-J-U-U-L to 88709, you'll get a support team network absolutely free. And this this device, this mechanism for a kind of a behavioral support for cessation of nicotine through vaping has shown to be very effective. It's been 40% more effective in helping people quit vaping. And so I tried it out the other day being a non-vapor, but I was like, well, I just want to see what they send and stuff. And it's great. They ask you, you know, text A or B if you had one today, mood if you need some support, or you, you can text different things to get messages that are generic, but they they work. They're helpful. And I think it's a really, really good technique, especially for young young patients who like that technology connection. That's a great resource. I love that resource because we know that there's these quit lines there. I mean, they have such good, they have so much energy research thought put behind them and they have teams and teams and teams and money and re- and put behind them. So it's an amazing resource for our patients and free, like you said, just free. So getting and helping people sign up, having them do it right there in your office, in your clinic, in your hospital, if possible. I think that's an amazing idea. Love that resource. I'm going to write that down uh, for my folks as well. So you said, just to recap, you said there are medications that are FDA approved for the cessation of other tobacco and nicotine products, which by the way, did you all hear that Varenicline has been recalled? I mean, it was in short supply and now it's been recalled. We'll have to talk about that, which is, I don't know if it's going to be a temporary recall, if they can make it without nitrosamine in it. Anyway, sorry, I'm kind of getting off subject, but we're devastated. to. So hopefully that's just temporary. And then NRT. So what if I'm playing devil's advocate with you and I say, well, what's the difference between NRT, like the nasal spray, for example, or the gum? compared to my vape doctor like why why would i pay and why would i deal with this i don't like the gum it doesn't blah 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 why would how would you what would you answer to that i think it's an insightful question and something that does come up a lot the main reasons that i recommend approved nicotine replacement therapy for a way of cessation is primarily because of that approved word. These have been rigorously studied over a number of years and have undergone safety data, and we know that they're safe. E-cigarettes, like we mentioned, are probably safer, but we don't know quite yet. And so with a patch, you're getting absorption of nicotine through the dermis into the bloodstream, and there's nothing else. With these ENDS units, these electronic nicotine delivery systems, we don't know everything about those yet. Again, there could be some contaminants with the metal, with with the e-juice, with other things that could put your body at more harm. I love it. No, that's exactly right. And just something else like I, so I have to plug, you know, integrative medicine and complementary approaches to quitting. And I don't know if you were going to talk about this. I don't want to step on your toes, but other things you can recommend to your patients that have some evidence to back them up. Mindfulness meditation, there's some pretty good studies to back up the use and the, the, the learning and utilization of mindfulness meditation for people who are trying to quit nicotine 
whether and I, I'm, again, like you said, we don't have direct studies for vape, but we do for cigarettes. So that would be something you could recommend. Hypnotherapy has some limited research. It depends on what you look at. It might, some studies didn't show that it's very effective. Some did. Yoga appears to increase the odds of successful smoking, abstinence, and nicotine use. And so does acupuncture. So those are some things that you can recommend. And I think people who are really motivated to quit nicotine, they're willing to do anything because it is very difficult to quit. It takes a lot of times to quit. Um, and if people who are going from cigarettes to a nicotine device, and then they're having a difficult time getting off of their, their vape device, you may need to dig deep and have more to offer them than one or two things. You want to be able to offer them you know, more than NRT, more than bupropion, more than vareniclin, you may need to try uh, a TCA or clonidine, which are second line agents. See about acupuncture if they're open to that. Talk to them about mindfulness meditation. Um, use kind of anything. Absolutely. And and with that, I also always try to investigate their motivations for quitting because it can be a little bit different for vaping from traditional cigarettes. Now, most individuals who vape still want to quit, but the percentages are not as high as those who smoke traditional cigarettes. And their motivations tend to be a little bit different. It may be more because of the mood-related things or more because they're worried about transitioning to cigarettes or things like that. And so trying to tease out what the motivation is can help with recommending a treatment like a cessation treatment plan that's going to work for them. And just like with traditional cigarettes, setting a quit date is very effective and something I always, always try to do, you know, is say, what's your quit day? Can we, you know, what's a day that's going to be significant and trying to follow up on that. I always document it in my note and, and you know, make sure that it's, it's something that we talk about in the next visit. I love that. That's a, that's such a good idea. I had forgotten about that. I that tip for people who vape. Regulations on this. Who's regulating? It's kind of messy. Oh, but it I, is. This stuff is fascinating. It is, and uh, I, I just with everything related to vaping, I don't proclaim to be an expert, but in in what I understand of the regulation, it's it's been a little bit. It's been highly criticized, first of all. Understanding the history of it, I've been more sympathetic towards how it's rolled out. So the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, has a Tobacco Control Act in 2009 that essentially established a subcommittee that was designed for regulating tobacco-related products. And at the time, it was mostly cigars, cigarettes, and chewing tobacco and, and those type of products. But in the in the fine print, there is a word called other products that are deemed, you know, D-E-E-M. And that gave this arm of the FDA some leeway on adopting electronic nicotine delivery systems. So in 2016, the FDA gave the end systems to the tobacco product authorities. So they kind of got authority over that. But it's really important in knowing what their function is. Unlike a medication that's used to treat blood pressure, they don't actually approve these products because they're products that are detrimental to health. And so they never approve any of these products. What they do is they authorize them. 16, when the FDA approved, got approval to adopt the electronic nicotine delivery system, their job was to authorize these products, not to approve them. Because we know they're not safe. It's not a medicine. It's just balancing the public health risks, essentially. And so with that, e-cigarettes were essentially on the market illegally for a number of years. Until recently, last year, they said, okay, we need to make this more formal. And so they gave 
gave any manufacturer of an electronic nicotine delivery system had until September of 2020 to submit an application with safety data to the FDA to see if they could have approval of their nicotine delivery device. Well, as you can imagine, there's more than a couple of these. Juul is not the only one. So there were thousands of applications of different devices and delivery systems. And so they delayed the date on which that happened. And it's still a moving target. But news just last week is that the first device has been approved. The FDA authorized. See, I'm saying approved inappropriately because, again, it's authorization. So in October, the FDA authorized RJ Reynolds to sell three of its Vuse vape products, which is not insignificant because they have about 10% of the market share for electronic nicotine delivery devices. So, again, it's it's not deemed safe or, or approved. It's just authorized. And people have really criticized the FDA for these decisions, saying we need to get rid of all of these. But Mitch Zeller, who heads the FDA, his quote on this approval of the recent one last month said, the manufacturer's data demonstrated its tobacco flavored products could benefit addicted adult smokers who switch to these products, either completely or with a significant reduction in cigarette consumption by reducing their exposure to harmful chemicals. So the summary of that is him saying that this appears to be a harm reduction model that we're willing to authorize in the vein of public safety. So it's a moving target on what happens next. Juul has not had their products approved yet. They haven't come up, but we'll see what happens with them. They've they've been taken they've had some pretty harsh lawsuits against them and they've they've been in the most scrutiny. So we'll see what happens with them. Um, but overall, I, I anticipate that there will be some products that get authorized and it will be... So, so I guess in summary, more to be seen on what happens with the FDA and how they authorize these products and what companies will then do as a reactionary step to try to avoid the laws. Because again, they're pretty good at finding ways around what's regulated and what's not regulated. That's really fascinating. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. Be, yeah, yeah, it's going to be an interesting uh, landscape that forward into, right? And like you said, who knows what will happen in 30 years when when we're old doctors and our younger uh, students will be like, I can't believe you guys, you know, <laughs> recommended this or didn't recommend this. And we, we don't know what we don't but know. But let's make this clear. We don't recommend it. We do not recommend vaping. We do not recommend smoking. So we <laughs> don't want this is true. Let's be real Absolutely. clear. We, we don't we recommend abs- cannabis. We, we don't recommend cigarettes. We don't recommend... We can make a list, yes. right? Absolutely. All right, Kyle. So in conclusion, we've kind of talked a lot about vaping and we really appreciate your sharing all this information with us. But just as a takeaway from this topic and what we want our listeners to know, kind of three main takeaway points, other than the fact that we do not recommend vaping. Yeah. <laughs> what else? What, what, what do you want to leave us with? Well, I think the focus needs to be on youth and adolescents. Their brains are different. They're developing. Nicotine affects their brain a little bit different, and they are more likely to transition to traditional cigarettes. There's a percentage of people who would have never used traditional cigarettes that now will because of vaping. And so efforts need to really be focused on the youth population with this particular drug. And for reasons we've stated with technology and social norms, how we approach it is a little bit different. There's some similarities, but but knowing that the developing brain and the technology exists, be creative in how you approach the conversations about it and the cessation techniques. So that's number one. And the second one goes closely along with that, that 
you need to know how to ask the questions about vaping. It doesn't work to ask someone if they're a smoker because people generally don't identify as smokers if they're exclusively vaping. And even some people who do a little bit of smoking and vaping may say no because they may vape more than they smoke. Get in the habit of asking the particular question, do you vape? Or do you jewel? Or how much do you vape? Or how often? And also, what are you vaping? Are you vaping nicotine? Are you vaping marijuana? And try to understand what and how and when people are, are using these. And finally, I'd say that we're still discovering some ways to help people quit. The traditional ways of nicotinization from the studies that we have about tobacco products through traditional cigarettes apply very well for electronic nicotine delivery systems. So use the pharmacotherapy that we have, the behavioral techniques. Make sure to use, like, utilize quit dates, alternative and complementary medicine behavioral counseling. And a really good one is this quit line that is an electronic texting device, not the, the talk on the phone to someone. So that's quit jewel text line can be really beneficial for this population. Love it. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Until next time. Hey, check us out at theaddictionfiles.com or email us at theaddictionfiles at gmail.com. Thank you so much to Ricky Valides for use of his song, Awake. Check him out at rickyvalides.com. and guests are not responsible for any harm caused by information obtained from the source. As each person is unique, you're advised to seek the advice of your own healthcare professional to treat any medical conditions you may be having. Opinions expressed on the show are those of the addiction files and not of our respective employers.